Have you been scrolling through many, many, many film podcasts thinking there's far too many of these? Or have you been thinking there's something missing? There's something we're not quite getting. A waffler from Northern England reviewing films, for example. Welcome to oh, Review It Yourself. No politics, no pandering, no point. Welcome everyone, welcome to oh, Review It Yourself. Uh, here today I'm joined by Grim and Zolgar from the Two Idiots and a Dog podcast. Welcome guys. Oh, thank you for having us. Absolute pleasure. I'm just going to turn my video off because I have no incentive to look at myself all the way through this. Um, <laughs> I don't, honestly. That's just a mood. <laughs> True. Uh, how are you guys doing? All right. Uh, vaguely awake because, you know, it, it's early for us and late for you. So, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you podcasted with Australia yet, that's, that's a tough one. Brains. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Damn it, he's a zombie again. Uh, let me get. Let, let me go get the shotgun. Uh, don't threaten me with a good time. So, is Grim a horror fan, and you're not a horror fan, Zorga? Is that is that how it goes? Mm, well, like, like I say, I'm not. I, I'm not a fan of the speci- of certain specific genres of horror. Grim likes some of them more than I do. Uh, I don't think either of us are really fans of the slasher genre, though. It, when it comes to me, it's less about... A lot of horror movies are going to be like either jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. Or tension, 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 tension. And I already have anxiety. I don't need that. But... A lot of the horror themes and aesthetics like Eldritch Horror and Nightmares from Beyond the Stars, you know, Lovecraftian horror, that is my jam. Like when the, when the walls of reality start to break down around you and nothing makes sense anymore, that's where I shine. Right, I see. Okay, so I, I, get, I get what you're going for. So it's a good segue actually into kind of a horror, but probably not. Um, we're reviewing Jaws, the 1975 classic by uh, Steven Spielberg. Is it the first time? Uh, <laughs> no, it's not going to be the first time you've seen it, but um, what history have you guys got with the film? Is it something that you like or something that you dislike? I'll let Grim take that one first. Oh, sure. Just throw me under a bus. Okay, cool. Um, oh. I just rewatched it for this because you know that's how these things work prior to that i hadn't actually seen it for a couple decades i think i want to say it was middle school or high school when i when i saw it last and it's one of those movies that both has and hasn't aged well if that makes sense so like i don't have like a deep personal connection to jaws it's definitely like the granddaddy of the shark genre and production value was very good, especially for when it was shot. Like I'll be like the special effects hold up, which was a shock to me. Um, but I don't really have a per- deep personal connection with the film. 
but yeah. I also don't Sorry. don't like hate it. So what parts of it? Uh, I mean, that's a long time to have to have gone between watching it. So what parts of it aged well for you, or badly? Well, Bruce has aged surprisingly well. I was genuinely expecting. Uh, for those that don't know, that's the name of the shark. Uh, I was honestly expecting the shark to be look just god awful. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he actually held up pretty well uh, the I mean it's a shark movie so there's uh, 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 oh come on Brian give me words <laughs> words are hard people words are hard uh, the remains after the shark attacks. Uh, Got a bit also, on that one, actually. Uh, actually, also surprisingly held up pretty well. Possibly, because you know the, the beginning part uh, where it, the first woman who's like goes out for a swim and gets eaten? Well, when they were filming that, um, it turned out that the, the like prop arm they'd made just looked awful, like god-awful. Uh, so they were like, right, we'll just bury an actress in the sand and have her arm hanging out. So that's actually somebody's arm. So it's not like something fake. So maybe that might be one of the reasons why. I don't know. Yeah, well, we did get a fake limb later in the... We got a glimpse of it in the morgue. Yes. Um, and that held up pretty good. Uh, the There's also at some point uh, we see a leg floating to the bottom of, of the water. And that held up pretty well as well. I will say the actress getting eaten at the start of the movie was not the greatest from a realism perspective. Like if a shark gets you, you're you're under. You just go down. It sinks in, it pulls you under, and you just go go under. There's no. It took her a while to to kind of you know um, die. <laughs> And maybe a conscious choice to like drag it out, you know, to have a bit more yeah. tension, like a bit of unrealism. Yeah, I'm not saying it was a it was a bad choice either. I'm just saying from a realism perspective, didn't didn't quite yeah didn't I'll, quite work. I, I'm with you on that. I, I I was a lifeguard for a few years in, in pools and things, and I know when somebody starts to drown, they they're not they're not going to bob up and down for a long time. Like they're going to go. So I can only imagine how quickly you'd go under if something grabbed you and pulled you. But yeah. yeah. I think one of the, the really interesting things uh, for me was just the window into a world that no longer exists. And how much of that world has carried over and how much of that world has not. For starters, uh, uh, the, the, the way they keep putting business interests ahead of everything. I mean, that's just gestures to outside uh <laughs> like that is ongoing to this day but that was an era where someone would just show up unannounced at your house and it was normal and nowadays if somebody shows up unannounced at my house i'm just like you better have girl scout cookies because <laughs> i'm not answering the door otherwise so that's a very american thing like it's not something i've ever seen here like 
Girl Scouts, well, there's the Scouts, and then girls are part of the Scouts. There's none of that kind of cookie biscuit selling here. Doesn't doesn't happen. Um, I only know of it because of like it's in programs like Friends and Scrubs mm. and stuff like that, but it's not something that's done here. But it seems to be quite a big thing in America. It's not really actually done in the U.S. as much anymore. Not the not the door to door. Yeah, it's typically uh, you know somebody who knows somebody who has a Girl Scout. Yeah, it's you got to get hooked up with your dealer, man. <laughs> Just plug it into the vein, baby. <laughs> Reminds yeah, I, me, I got to get a new dealer for next year. My, my dealer aged out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can imagine there was. Uh, yeah, they probably don't do the dot dot thing anymore. Uh, but what about um, what about you, Zaga? How did um, have you, has it been a long time since you saw the film as well? Uh, not quite as long as it has for Grimm, um, but I haven't seen it too terribly many times, despite my, you know, love for shark movies. Terrible, terrible shark movies. Oh, they're a bit of a guilty pleasure kind of film thing for me, you know, like even the truly, truly terrible ones. There's like, there's the good terrible ones, like Deep Blue Sea, which is just all kinds of awesome. Uh, and then there's just the truly, truly terrible stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. Like Adrift and all those kind of awful, awful films. But, you know, you've got a I, I, lo- I love them all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Deep Blue Sea is... holds the distinction of being one of two shark movies I genuinely like. That's not to say I dislike Jaws. Uh, because that is not the other one. Well, what's the but, other one? You can't leave us hanging uh, out that grim. Uh, Jaws was, was and, and Zolgar and I talked about this uh, amongst ourselves the other day, is Jaws was made for a different audience. It, it's not a movie for me. I don't dislike it, uh, but it doesn't really grab me. Um, the other shark movie that I like is uh, The Meg. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I like, I'll, yeah, that was, that was good fun. I enjoyed that one. Well, The Meg is actually my favorite of the shark movies, so yeah. Yeah, but I do love Jaws. It's like Rim was saying; it has aged remarkably well aesthetically. Uh, you know, aside from like the very final scene with uh, words with uh, Bruce eating Quint, the this, the effects really did age well and. You know, when you get a full shot of Bruce, he doesn't look that good. But for the most part, they didn't rely on showing the entire animatronic shark. They relied on you seeing snippets of it and cutting that in with footage of actual sharks and things like that. So it really did work well. And I think one of the things that for me made it, that made it work, like the movie overall, is Jaws is a movie that really subscribes to the less is more approach to your creature in the creature feature. We don't see a lot of the shark throughout a lot of the movie. And the, so the few areas where we do get this full... Uh, shark reveal you know uh, when it's eating quint uh when it's when when it's swimming by the uh 
aft section of the boat so you can really get the sense of scale of this monster things like that because they don't overshow the shark throughout the rest of the movie those moments really hit in my opinion no absolutely there's that brilliant shot of what do they call it i can't remember what it's called but the end of the thing at the front of the boat that he's on the pulpit i think they call it yeah um and you see it from overhead of quint and just this massive obviously shark swims across screen and it's like well that thing is big but again yeah absolutely the the less is more i think that's where a lot of shark films kind of go wrong in that they, they show you too much and you lose the kind of suspense. But again, I think it was born out of necessity because they had that much problem making the film that in the end they were like, look, we, we can't show this as much as we wanted to. We will just, you know, keep it under wraps. And then with John Williams' beautiful music score on top, it creates this tension. Uh, the second film, Jaws 2, goes for a different kind of, because the technology was a little bit better, they go for a kind of, oh, we'll burn the shark at the beginning and then show it a lot more, which is a different kind of feel. But I think I'd like to know what you, you guys think, because I, I was going to say that I think Jaws is probably the, the best shark film. Uh, I think it's often imitated, but I don't think it's ever been surpassed. Um, and it is kind of the birth of the summer blockbuster for, for a lot of a lot of people, I think. Um, well, I mean, it is the birth of the summer blockbuster. It is... Jaws is the film that coined the term summer blockbuster. It is, it is incredibly important for cinema history, not only as a shark movie, but as, you know, the blockbuster. The, the, uh, the film that really kind of surpassed it on that and cemented the blockbuster in was, of course, uh, Star Wars two years later. But... Yeah, this is the the original blockbuster. Um, and it's it's kind of hard for me to say whether I think it's the best shark movie because it's it's the start of the genre. It really is. But at the same time, the genre has changed since then. And there are elements of this movie that don't work quite as well compared to modern movies. It's it's a solid film, and it's definitely one of the best shark movies, and it it holds up compared to modern competition. But I'm not quite sure I could call it the best, especially given that we know so much more about the uh, the habits and. Uh, what's the word? Yeah, the behavior of Great White. Oh, yeah, as um, even Peter Blenchley, uh, who wrote the book, said if he knew what he knew about sharks a few years later, he wouldn't have written the book that way. Uh, oh, yeah, from from an actual natural nature point of view, it's 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 an awful portrayal of the of the sharks. But I I do like your point, Zoga, about how it's the beginning of the genre, kind of in a way that. Night of the Living Dead, 1968, is arguably the beginning of the zombie film genre in that people could argue it was the best, but actually a lot's come. And obviously since, you know, 68 and 75, there's been a massive change in movies. I mean, computer effects for one. So, yeah, I mean, and I haven't seen all the shark films, so, which if I ever do, I'll, I'll be very saddened, but they keep bringing them out, so I'm sure there'll be lots coming up. 
Yeah. Um, Zolvers mostly got the right of it, in my opinion. Um, however, I'm willing to, to go further than him on this and say that uh, with all due respect to Jaws, it is the granddaddy of the shark genre. And we have so much culturally to thank this movie for. Um, I definitely don't think it is the best shark movie. Uh, my personal opinion, uh, that distinction goes to the mech. But we wouldn't have the mech without Jaws. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. And I think that um, I think also what, what I like about Jaws as well is that it, um, and I'd be interested to see what you guys think, in that it it has so much more behind just the story of a shark turns up, starts eating people, the police chief and, you know, the, this, uh, what is he, kind of a, the shark scientist, and I've forgotten his name, um, and the, you know, the, the guy who kills sharks, they're going to go out and kill it. It has much more about that, as you both alluded to about the argument of businesses, you know, we need summer dollars. We're a little small island, you know, we'll be on welfare the whole winter if we don't, um, which is a word for benefits, I guess, um, also, or all winter if we, if we don't kill the shark and sort this problem out. And also you get the beautiful interplay between the, the characters, particularly the three leads. So Robert Shaw, uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Roy Scheider. Um, and I, I think my favourite character in it um, is Matt Hooper. Um, for the Oceanographic Institute, I just love the way he's just how, how witty he is, and he's just like, "Oh, they're all going to die." And it... so, do you guys have any favorite characters in the film? Uh, Grim, do you, uh, it'll start with yourself. I, I'm going to agree with you. I, I think Hooper is my favorite. Just that sardonic wit of his, where he's just like all smiles. It's like, yeah, they're go- they're all going to die. Yeah, it's just this this fact that he's also willing to just because as an outsider he actually has a little more social leeway he can just look at the mayor and be like you're an idiot you're being an idiot and i'm calling you out for being an idiot whereas brody can't really do that he's the chief of police he technically answers to the mayor yeah i love i love the li- i love the line where he says that I'm not going to stand here and argue with somebody who's lining up to be a hot lunch. And he like just and he just starts to walk off. Um, yeah. Maybe I just love the wit of characters like that. But and I love, which and it seems it's quite unusual um, to see in an American film um, about. Well, maybe I've not seen enough, but the fact that you see the kind of class differences between uh, between Quint, who's very much working class and gritty, and he's. he's been in, in, on the sea pretty much all his life with his war, you know, he's a veteran and all that kind of thing. And then you have Matt Hooper who comes across as, you know, he's been brought up in higher classes, more money, he's working for quite an esteemed organisation. Um, and he's clearly very intelligent, not to say that Quint isn't intelligent, but they have that interplay, um, you know, that um, Hooper says to him things like, you know, I don't need this working class hero crap. And I, I loved that they had, well, I think it comes to the fact that they disliked each other on set. That probably helped. Uh, but I, I don't know, is that something you guys picked up on as well? Or is it just something I read into? Because I do get that British society is a lot more class-orientated than, than America, for example. 
not to get too deep into it. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I mean, I can only speak for myself and my own observations, obviously, but it's less spoken over here. Like there is a class system for sure, but unless you're having like a political discussion, for the most part, the uh, uh, lower class, middle class, upper uh, class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't really come into play much in conversation or um, in, in a direct acknowledgement, but there is an unspoken class system for sure. And that does influence our lives in unspoken ways. For example, outside of certain relationship types, you don't see a lot of cross-class socialization. And it's not so much like a rigid caste system, so much as just in day-to-day -day affairs, unless you have some external relationship encouraging people across the social strata to socialize, we all kind of just stick to our little, our, our groups. And it's not really like a direct rule or anything. It's just something that kind of happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I see entirely what you mean in terms of you kind of stay in your own, I hate to use the word lane, but I, you do, you say stay in your own, you know, your own place with your, you know, your, your own, like, people who are more like yourself in terms of, like, finance and things. You, It's like me, I wouldn't turn up at a... Well, I wouldn't do it anyway, but it's just saying you wouldn't catch me fox hunting or anything like that because I, I, don't, I don't mix in the circles of people who do that. Um, but how about, how about you, Zorga? Um, <clears throat> you yeah, know, you don't have to answer it. I'm just, I'm just wondering. I'm just there. Well, which, which are you asking? Because um, there, there's been a couple things that have come up since, um, like the the so the so whole social cast thing. Yeah, like, is it something you you spotted in the film, or um, and what did you think of it, or is it just something that jumped out of myself? I mean, I noticed it too, of course, and uh, yeah, because it, it really is something that. It is extremely prevalent, but not extremely spoken in the U.S., like Grimm was saying. And that's partially, I think, because the U.S. is so bloody spread out that, you know, okay, just take, for example, the city we live in. We live in Tucson, Arizona. And you can tell how affluent a part of Tucson is, or the majority of people in Tucson are, by just where you go in Tucson. And what that ends up also leading to is our school districts end up being, I'm not going to say unintentionally um, cast segregated but it's also not like specifically on paper what they're doing it's just okay the the houses in this area cost more the people who live in this area tend to cost more 
and the schools your kids go to are based on where you live, you know, what part of town you live in. So that means that the kids from wealthier families go to school with the kids from wealthier families, the kids from poor families go to school with the kids from poor families. To an extent, there's, there's occasional differences here and there, but that's how it mostly goes. So those are the friends you have. And it just kind of scales that way. Yeah, it's it. Sorry. Um, and it, what's really interesting is you actually do see that break down some, not a ton, but a but some in certain hobbies, uh, like uh, board gaming. You know, because board gaming is it's not a cheap hobby, but it's also not an incredibly expensive hobby. So you'll see you'll see people who are fairly well off sitting at a table playing with people who are not like dirt poor, but don't have nearly the disposable income. Yeah, and you see that in the digital realm as well. Most of my friends I have who are from different social strata, uh, we met in video games. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a great point. Um, I, I've got to ask though, when you say board games, what do you mean? Uh, card games, or do you mean like what do you mean by card games? I'm not sure if there's a slight uh, difference in what I would think of as board games. Um, I mean, so um, I mean the 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 classic examples are of course like um. It's called Monopoly here. I don't remember what it's called over there. Yeah, Monopoly. Yeah, I'm with you. Or, or wait, that's right. It's the same name. It's just got different properties on it. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but also uh, Catan. Uh, and there, there's so many out there. It's uh, it's basically it's it's a massive industry and. Uh, uh, there's there's a lot of really popular ones out of Germany. I mean, Catan, I believe, is out of Germany. Uh, I'm trying to remember what else there is because my brain is not working right now. But it's... no, it's, sorry, no, no, it's 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 a it's yeah, it's what I thought. It's it's what I would know as a board game. I just I just wasn't sure if you were talking about something else. But no, yeah, it's um it's interesting you mentioned about uh you, I think you call them districts. It, over here, I think it's catchment areas. So depending on where you live, if you're in a catchment area for a certain school, you go to that school. I know the US and the UK's schooling system is slightly different, but it's similar enough that yeah, it's 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 true. I I remember going to school and then there was people from from nicer areas, well not nicer areas, more affluent areas, should I say, and people from from less affluent areas, and you could you could definitely see the the separation there uh, in the way that people acted and that kind of thing. So it's didn't expect to go down this route when we started talking about jaws, but no, it's, um, yeah, I I get that completely. Um, but yeah, what what a film, really. Um, and also, I, I didn't want to like, wasn't sure if I should bring it up. There there is a a dog death in this film, but at least they don't show it. The dog just kind of disappears. Uh, you get the guy kind of shouting for his dog. Um, they they never come back to that either, which I suppose is good. I mean, you wouldn't want to come back to it, I guess. 
I personally choose to believe that the dog was intelligent enough to realize that there was a shark in the water and fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) In my head, Cannon, the dog is fine and happy and everything is okay. Uh, But apparently in the original cut, we actually do see the shark get the dog and they removed that, which is a good thing. Oh, I didn't. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't know that. I've never seen that in trivia. That, you know what? It's yeah. I um, my old co-host uh, is horrified. He's he's a massive, massive dog lover, um, uh, pro- like yourselves. And he, yeah, he uh, he he would not have appreciated that. So it's probably a wise choice they took it out. I think it would have been very tonally. It would have been a little bit too much. I think. I don't know why seeing a dog die is, you know, worse than a kid or a, somebody in a boat. It, I don't know. For some people, it's just across the line, isn't it? Well, it's like I can never actually get through the thing because of the scene where it gets into the dog pen. The 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 sounds and visuals of that scene, I just I can't watch it. Yeah, my friend can't get through the uh, the I Am Legend scene either. He he walks out the room. He knows exactly when to walk out um, before before you know, his dog starts to turn. He knows when to leave and he knows when to come back. I don't think he's ever seen it more than once. So yeah, it's it's um, it's it's funny what people um, interesting, I should say, what people uh, what people can can cope with and what they can't. But I, I'm glad they left it out because I think it would have been yeah, I can't imagine it would have looked good either. Um, yeah. Um, just again, uh, it's another thing with the film that I hadn't noticed watching it before because I, I haven't seen it for f- five or six years, maybe. Um, that it's set over the Fourth of July weekend, which which is quite a big thing in America, I gather. Like a summer holiday, bank holiday type thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty good, a pretty big holiday in the U.S. Um, it's I don't think it's quite as big now as it was back then. Um, because you don't really see a lot of like big 4th of July festivities places anymore, though you may see that more in small towns. Uh, Grim would know better than I would because I haven't lived in a small town in the... We won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) It varies. It's usually not like... Like there are sometimes parades, depending on what town you're in. And... Of course, everywhere has some sort of fireworks display. But other than that, it, it varies wildly. Um, most people use the 4th of July as an excuse to get drunk off their ass and go make stuff explode. And I mean, making stuff explode is fun. Yeah. And, and of course, here in Tucson, we... We say it's not the 4th of July until we light a mountain on fire, so. <laughs> yeah, good good for you guys. Is it, am I right in thinking it's, is it the Independence Day celebration? Is it that yeah. one? Yeah. Thank it's, God, it's I'd, have been, I'd have been very embarrassed to get that wrong. Um, <laughs> and I would have mocked you for it. Yeah, and, and then to point out, I also did a Masters in History, would have made it even worse. Bri- oh, yeah. <laughs> British history, though, I must find out, British history. Uh, I mean, American history doesn't matter. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter. It's it's, it's just it, it's not something we learn over here, really. I mean, we we tend to learn kind of Vietnam, and we did we do like the American West. We do we do kind of very 
odd choices of history. For some, I don't know why. I, I couldn't tell you why we do those, but who knows? It's probably changed since I was at school, to be fair. So, um, yeah. Interesting as well to... I, I'd forgotten, because no one you haven't seen a film in a while and you think, oh, I hope this... You know, you what? hope it doesn't fall down. Like, it doesn't bore me or slow down at any point. Because I, I don't know why, but I always think of Jaws as a very long film, even though it's only a couple of hours, um, which is nothing nowadays. And it, but it wasn't, it kept me engaged throughout. It was quite quick paced. Um, how did you guys feel? Did you feel there were any parts that they could have cut out? Or? I don't know about cut out. The pacing felt a little slower for me, but I'm also used to, to the bam, 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 modern movie where which, something's always happening. Which that, that's kind of an amusing thing because for its day, Jaws was extremely fast-paced. Yeah, filmmaking has has changed significantly since then. Because and... you have a short attention span now. Huh, what? <laughs> what were we talking about again? Which, which film? Which film? <laughs> what a... Ooh, shiny! Squirrel! <laughs> uh... Who are you people and why are you in my bathroom? But yeah, um... There were a few points where I did feel like maybe they could have cut it if they really wanted to by you know by modern film standards uh but yeah it was it has held up remarkably well in that regard in my opinion yeah for the most part like in a modern film when they're just on the boat bsing together uh that would have been like half as long a scene in a modern movie. And I'm not saying if that's good or bad, just it would be half as long in a modern movie. They wouldn't have focused on them as much because in a modern movie, those characters don't matter. It's all about the shark. Yeah, I, I agree with that, which I think is a shame because look at how well this film st stood up. I mean, in three years, this will be 50 years old. If my maths are right. Yep. Um, uh, which and, is ridiculous. <laughs> well, and there, it's like there's, oh, you know, in that scene where they're um, BSing on the boat comparing scars, there's a really tiny throwaway scene that's, uh, it's a blink and you miss it. But, you know, Quint and Hooper are sitting there going back and forth with their scars and Brody is just sitting there silent, but he just kind of lifts up his shirt and looks at a scar on his chest and doesn't say a word. I thought it was his appendix scar because I've read the trivia saying it was really Roy Shad's appendix scar unless I'm wrong. I uh, it I think... it might be his actual appendix scar, but I love that. I love that because that would be me in that situation because you've got two, you've got three guys there, you've got two of them who are just having a testosterone off uh, in terms of oh look I've got this and I've got this, uh, and he, he's there and even though he's the chief of police and he's probably really experienced because he's come from New York City. It's only his first summer there. Um, he's like lifts his shirt up and he's like quite saddened, like, oh, that's like, oh, I've got type thing. Um, yeah, that would definitely be me <laughs> in that situation. Yeah. Um, so do you know why Brody left New York as chief of, or, and became chief of police in Amity? Uh, I do not. Never read the book because it's very different, I've heard. Uh, I've never read the book either, but it's... It may be in a different cut of the movie that they say it, 
but he is actually kicked out of the police force in New York for being an alcoholic. And well, we kind of see that in the movie. He almost always, any scene where he's not working, working, he's got a drink in hand for the most part. Like, so yeah, you do kind of see it, but it's also never commented on. Well, I never knew that. That's quite surprised me, actually. Although I could see, I could definitely see where that would come from. Because, yeah, as, as you've said, they never, um, he, he's pretty much always got a drink in his hand. And especially that scene where Hooper brings the two bottles of wine over because he doesn't know what to bring, red or white. Um, and Brody's just gunning it down, but I, like really taking it back. But I thought that was because, you know, they'd seen the girl get chopped up and things. But yeah, that makes sense. And draws parallels with the fact that um, uh, the, the actor who plays Quint was battling alcoholism throughout the entire film, uh, for the filmmaking. So, yes, yeah, I never knew that. Good, 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 good uh, fact, that one. I like it. Yeah, and, and that's another thing is um, this movie relies on a lot more contextual environmental storytelling than a lot of modern movies would. Like in a modern movie, they would have just there would have been like some huge dust up, knockout, drag out fight between him and his wife over his drinking. Or, you know, it, it would have been like there would have been a pan shot at some point where he's got like a bunch of like AA meeting pamphlets somewhere or something. Or the uh, like the mayor would have been like, you know, well, you know, we know that that you have an alcohol problem and, you know, are you sure you weren't drinking too much when you wrote this report or something like that? Yeah, they do. They do that modern films. They te- not all of them, not all of them. But they tend to do, you know, they show, they don't, they, you know, they, they, they tell you, they don't show you. So whereas this film lets you kind of work out on your own. Um, or, I mean, I didn't know, but if you'd have mentioned that, I could have maybe infer, inferred it. I thought, oh, he does drink a lot. Whereas nowadays it's like, no, we need to paint by numbers. We need to tell the audience they can't work out on their own. They're not that clever. Put a little pamphlet down there with Alcohol's Anonymous. On. Yeah, that. so I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's one of the things about going back and watching these classic films is that you can look at where filmmaking was then and where filmmaking is now and really get a different, like you can really just see the, 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 what's the same and what's different. Um, like I said, uh, it, watching this movie in general was, was a great look back on how we've changed culturally because like i said again if when hooper just shows up unannounced at their house that doesn't happen anymore especially over here no one goes goes over to someone's house unannounced there's always a phone call or a text or something ahead of time like hey can i stop by Um, yeah yeah absolutely yeah there is and even like growing up um I used to go and call for friends. You'd go walk around your friend's house, knock on the door and ask their mum or dad, oh, is so-and-so in? Or are they coming out? <laughs> Whereas, I mean, because that was before, like, phones started turning up, mobiles or cell phones yep. started turning up. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a very different... It's a very different feel, isn't it? It's, it's almost like... And I know it's the next film on, but it's almost like the second film where he's trying to get in touch with Hooper and it turns out Hooper's away on the Aurora, which is like the the Arctic exploration ship and he won't be available for like eight months. 
which obviously still happens for boats and things, but now you'd have, you know, phones, you could get hold of them, radio, text, internet. So yeah, it's a it's a very different a different world, isn't it? But yeah, like in a modern uh, version of that, um, for them to continue to bring the character into the movie, they just keep cutting away to like phone conversations with that character. Because um, you see that in some of the Die Hard movies, actually, um, where you've got uh, Bruce Willis's character in a completely different city from where he was previously, but he still calls up some of the people that he interacted with so that they can bring those actors back um, yes, yes, for, that, that- for that familiar familiarity. Uh, they would totally do that in a modern version of Jaws too. Is that they would just have him like Cooper on the phone with him periodically, like talking him through what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the the scene in Die Hard two where where he rings up uh, Al Johnson, or and he gets a fax from him, which is just so nineties. It's unbelievable. Uh, but but again, in terms of how much it's changed, it's just made me think about the scene, and I hadn't even noted this down, but it's the scene where. The, he decides to, Brody decides to close the beaches. He's like, right, get some signs. He literally walks in the hardware store and he's like, right, uh, I need this, I need this. He tells his deputy, go make the signs and put them up. And then he's going, I don't know, from one part of the island to the other or something over the water and you see how nervous he is. And then a, a car pulls up on this like boat barge thing and the mayor and like the, what's the guy? Is he like the coroner or the, the doctor, the autopsy guy? Medical um, examiner, yeah. Thank you very much. I, I'm struggling to think of what it was. Uh, oh, pathologist, I should, yeah. Um, pulls up, and they all get out of the car, this, like, mafia entourage, and then they have this conversation, and I thought, well, that wouldn't happen now because you'd have one calling, you know, Brody or uh, his office or over the radio or whatever. So, yeah, again, like, the difference in how it was then to, to how it would be now. Shame, really. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's an it's always an interesting thing, and especially in the the horror and creature feature genres, uh, because you have uh, you have so many of them that rely so heavily on the tropes of these older movies up until you know about the uh, mid nineties of being isolated and not being able to communicate. So, so many of them either they write some way for there to be no cell phone service or something like that in. So you have this older movie and, you know, cell phones don't even exist then. They're not even, oh, in 1975, I don't think there were even like the bulky ass car phones. No, I don't even think they were, I don't think they were around at all at that point. Um, yeah, because if it was now, if it was like the famous scene on the beach where it does that beautiful shine, uh, Brody's face as uh, the best death in an, any shark film, in my opinion, you get the death of you no know, Alex Kittner um, on his little Lilo thing. Um, th- that bit now, I mean, I hate to say it, but if that happened in a modern film, you'd at least have a few people <laughs> getting their phones out to film it. You know, I'm not in a grim way, I'm just saying, like, you know. It ha- you know it it happens. You, you see awful events around the world, and there's always somebody who takes the phone out, starts recording it. Doesn't matter how bad the situation is. Um, there's always going to be someone who who would do that. So again, there's that 
cultural or societal shift again that would be massively evident in a, in a if they tried to ever remake this film, which I know seems like sacrilege, but they're remaking everything else, so it's only a matter of time. I, I feel, I fear. Yeah, and well, and of course, the thing on like people pulling out their phones and recording things is it's less about like how grim and gruesome it is and more about the fact that okay think of think of how many events in history we could know more so much more about if somebody had had a cell phone at that time and you know recording things is in our DNA as humans, I think, except we've yeah. just got more technology you know, now. I mean, okay, you you go back to the 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 bloody day of cavemen, and they were recording what they did by painting it on the walls of caves. So we are we record things. We just have a lot better technology to do it now. Yeah, and and what's really interesting about it is that if you talk to someone and talk to them about, well, why are you recording this? What's fascinating is you will get a myriad of different answers. And so you're almost going to have those people like, ha ha, look at the shark, eat a dude, sick bro. But there's also the people that are like, like, this is a major important event. I'm creating a record. Um, There's a a joke running around the internet about how, you know, us millennials with our phones would record the apocalypse. And yeah, no shit we would. We'd whip that phone right out and be like, this is one of the most momentous things in history. Let's get this recorded because we're going to be talking about this to our kids, 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 kids. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I get for the monumental events. Definitely. It just, it, it stymies me and confuses me somewhat when you are somewhere like a football match or, um, or you're watching like a big firework display or, a concert, someone singing or whatever. And there's always a few people who get the phones out and they're recording it, which you're not meant to do, but never mind. And you think, why don't you just put your phone down and actually enjoy it with your own eyes? Um, that's always, I've never really got that. That That's the only kind of part that I don't understand why somebody like experience it as, as it happens, don't kind of, well, I get people probably want a record of it. So it's, and yeah. again, I'm sure people have different reasons. And that's what it is. They want a record of it. Like uh, you're you're at the at the game, and you want to record. You know, you want a recording of that moment in your life. Maybe someone you know is playing, or maybe you're just a fan of the team. But you still like in this moment. I want to. It's like people who you know go to events and and take pictures. It's like I was there. This picture helps me remember that. Well, now we can just shoot a quick video. Yeah. To be fair, so I take I take, take pictures every time I'm at the football match because it's always a, it's just it's just a great sight. I don't do videos, but I do take photos at pretty much every match I'm at. So yeah. I am aware I'm being a little bit hypocritical, <laughs> um, but it's it's more just a curiosity of, of why people do it. But it's yeah, it, it's like the, maybe this is why it's uh, films are so different, you know and the argument of, well, this film is better, you know, the Meg's better or the Jaws is better. Well, actually, um, as another American taught me, um, Mark from the Visually Snoop Movie Podcast, he said to me, it's trying to compare apples and oranges. It doesn't, you can't really do it. It doesn't work. So I'll, I'll stick with, I'll stick with that. It makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. You know, comparing, comparing like the shark movies to each other, there is a certain extent of that, but you know, again, the fact that Jaws and the Meg are like 40 years apart, it is, it is really hard to compare them because they had different storytelling styles and like I say, the genre has changed since Jaws created it almost 50 years ago. Yeah, and you see this with other genres as well. This isn't limited to, you know, shark movies. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent on this, but we were talking about this the other day too, where Lord of the Rings, the books, compare that to a modern fantasy novel. Everything is different. Pacing, characterization, everything because they're written in completely different times for completely different audiences and you see that with shark movies like this or any movies i mean even even action movies look at an action movie from like the 70s or the 80s and then compare that to an action movie from today they're made for completely different audiences using completely different methods yeah yeah they no, they are definitely and it's it's something that that i i do struggle to not struggle it's something i think because i'm guilty of thinking sometimes our films aren't as good as they used to be which i think is sometimes too simplistic a view because you've got to kind of appreciate that films are made a lot differently um even like 10 15 20 years which isn't didn't used to be a long time in terms of technology but now it's just technology and computer graphics are rushing ahead at such a pace that you think, oh, like, I don't know how long it'll be before films like Avengers um, Assemble looks like, looks poor in terms of CGI. It probably won't be as long as we think. Um, but then again, you've got you've got people like James Cameron doing Avatar 2 at long last. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to see where the history of cinema will go. Yeah, and it's, it's always interesting to look at it. And if you don't mind me going off on a brief tangent here, I want to comment on that. They don't make films like they used to uh, remark because you hear it all the time. Oh, they don't make films like they used to. Well, that is factually correct. They don't make films like they used to. Um, and there are a lot of people that will say that in the, you know, like you did, you know, oh, they're, they're not as good as, and there's a couple of factors, I think, in that perception. And that's what it is, to be clear. It's perception. Yeah, We perceive that modern movies aren't as good as older films. And I think part of that is twofold. One, if you were making a major movie in like the 70s, you wanted that movie to be very, 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 very good. It wasn't just mass market release and hope for the best. Like Hollywood wasn't, was getting there, but wasn't quite the churn out a movie every year from the studio type of production. And your audience, like the modern movie audience, we can watch these movies on our phones now. How many people have those phones? Your potential audience today is, I mean, before you even account for population growth, way wider than it would have been for a film you made back in the 70s. So if you were making that movie, you were going to make sure this was a movie that was going to do well, and you were going to do your best to make that movie as well as you could. Usually. Emphasis on usually. 
exceptions exist. The other actually, go go ahead. uh, The other element of it that I want to touch on briefly here um, is the classic movies, the older films that we look back on are the good ones that have stood the test of time. You don't sit there and, and, and reflect on, oh, they don't make movies as good as they used to, and you're like, okay. <laughs> bringing up like some just terrible, most awful movies Carnosaur. of that era. <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, give it like 50 years from now, and what movies are people going to remember from, from now? They're going to remember the ones that were well done and stood the test of time. So it creates kind of this uh, uh, false perspective, I think. Anyway, Silgo, you were going to say something. So I'm also actually going to say we do still make movies like we used to. Not as often, and, but similar to what you're saying, the ones that, that, that have stood the test of time were the good ones, like Jaws, like Star Wars. But the fact of the matter is there are those films that are made with so much love and so much heart but unfortunately these days those ones don't tend to be the big budget blockbusters because the big budget blockbusters are made to they are made to draw an audience in with the most simplistic I'm not going to say, I wouldn't say simplistic, but they, they go for the lowest common denominator. They want to, they don't want to challenge people. They just want to entertain them. They don't want them to think too much about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love me a good modern blockbuster. I have watched every single MCU movie and will continue to do so. I'm, I'm not a film snob, but there are also these films that like um, everything, everywhere, all at once. That movie has so much heart in it. And it's, it's weird, it's fun, it's well-made, but it's, it's not a big production house movie. Yeah, uh, another thing is um, a lot of what you see today is they're focusing on the franchise. The franchise, because the franchise gets you sequels, spinoffs, and merchandise. Merchandising. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you you guys, you guys are right. To be fair, I mean, especially in terms of it being a perception of mine, it it is. But I think it's also because I'm I'm kind of a little bit, a little bit fed up with the massive amount of superhero films we've got. I kind of I don't think there's, there's much room to breathe um, for these movies that would challenge. I think the only I don't think there's many people making them. There's maybe Christopher Nolan, and it's not to say I love all of his songs either, but he he seems to kind of but he's got to be able to do that by having some very successful mainstream movies um, like the Dark Knight Rises trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy, sorry. Uh, so he's kind of earned his stripes and now he's allowed to do kind of his own visions, which, which I like. Uh, and I understand that not everybody w- has that chance. I, so maybe it's more a perception of what they're making now rather than how they're making it. Um, I just, I would just like a little bit more 
originality but like you say it's it's sequels it's reboots it's it's I'm the franchise of, yeah but i'm kind of i'm kind of over them and i'm thinking like i would really like something else like i don't know what i've got no answers for them uh, <laughs> i don't make films i don't write films um but i would just like something a little bit a little bit different that's why i i've been going for more uh, independent, you know, if I go to the cinema, I'll go for an independent film. I saw a brilliant in British independent film called Boiling Point, which was all sh- done in one shot. Uh, it was about a kitchen like, in a very high, in like a swanky, high class part of London. And it showed you how, like, all the characters, like, they're li- like what their lives are falling apart. But through one one night of like table service, it was brilliant. Um, so there are good films being made out there, but, um, and I'm not saying that the big budget films or the suburban films aren't good it's just i'm kind of i just i want something something else i think there's that many of them it's like they've lost that special something for me at least i mean if, if people still got to see them and love them and clearly they do so i may be in the minority i don't know well i i actually kind of agree with you there on the superhero films i mean i'm gonna keep watching them because well i'm i'm a sucker for superheroes but I am honestly starting to hit burnout on especially the MCU because it is just release after release after release. They are churning them out so fast that, you know. And, And the big thing to remember with that is the superhero movies we're getting are all coming from two companies because they happen to be two of the biggest companies in Hollywood, Warner Brothers and Disney. Yeah, I mean, okay, so we just had Multiverse of Madness drop, the new Doctor Strange movie. It dropped uh, like a little over a week ago as of recording this. Thor Love and Thunder is scheduled for release in July and um, currently, Black Panther 2 is scheduled for release in November. We are getting so many of these movies that it's just, you know, we... That's before you even count in the TV series. <laughs> yeah, it's before you count in the TV series. It's before you count in, uh, and like I say, that's just the MCU. It's before you count in everything they're doing with Star Wars. It's before you count in everything that Warner Brothers is failing to do with the DC universe. Uh, Did Mm. I say failing out loud? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Struggling, trying, attempting. We've we've said this on our own podcast, but I'm going to say it again here. Hey, Warner Brothers, not everything needs to be Batman. <laughs> don't oh grim stop don't, grim making don't, everything dark and gritty grim don't stop me on the batman don't have you if it's all right that's if coming you're, from a batman fan yeah i'm, I'm a huge about, batman fan. i am i am but i i dislike the last batman with it and uh, such intensity i'm so disappointed it was six hours of my life i watched it twice uh i'm never gonna get back and people seem to love it and i'm like I don't get it. I don't see it. I don't get it. I didn't like it. Um, I really. It, it, I, it was I, okay. I don't like the, some of the direction they went with it, but it, it was it was okay. That is my official opinion. It was okay, Grim. 
2022. <laughs> you can quote me. It was one of my favorite Batman movies. That's that's fine. Like if you loved it, great. Like I have no doubt I love some films that people yeah, absolutely but, hate. But but Zulgar also like enjoys Sharknado unironically, so you can ignore his opinion. Do you know what? Well, do you know what? We all have those guilty, we all have those movies that we watch and think I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't write this, but I really do. You know, they're just so daft. We've all got them. Yeah, like, it's, I, it's I, in just uh, bring us back around to the, to the like film quality topic since we were actually like talking about that for realsies a little bit ago. Uh, it's what I, uh, there's two kinds of movies in my opinion, regardless of genre, regardless of of what's going on. There's two movies. There's what I refer to. Sometimes eye rolling and, and, and with a little bit of a, a sarcastic smirk, high cinema, which is that's your classic movie. That's your godfather. That's your deep, meaningful heart and soul was poured into this movie. Uh, and then there's a lot of everything else, which I refer to as brain candy. This is the movie you watch to just have a fun time and not think about things too much. You can just check your brain at the door and watch the pretty, pretty lights on the screen for a little bit. And that's the kind of movie that has become very popular. And given, I don't want to like turn this into a, a gloom and doom thing, but like if you look at the news, it's no wonder that the pretty sparkly, shiny, distracting brain candy movies are have been getting more and more and more popular over the past several decades. Now there is there there is a, a a set of movies that exist that are on the surface they look like pretty shiny brain candy, but there is more depth to them and things to actually think about. Mm -hmm. um, I think my favorite recent example was uh, Free Guy, which I've not seen that yet. I am dying to see it though. I'm oh, sorry. you have to because it looks like it's just going to be pretty sparkly, fun brain candy, and for the most part, it is. But if you stop and pay attention, there are layers going on here. Is it high? What I would call a high cinema film? No, not at all. I mean, it's about a guy who realizes he's in a video game, but <laughs> there are certain things they touch on in that film. That shock, like if you stop and you think about it, you go, whoa, whoa, they went there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And with a film like Jaws, just to bring us back around on topic, you know what you're going into right away. There's going to be those layers that you're looking for immediately, like Brody's alcoholism, the business versus safety uh interests thing um the working class versus academic class um interplay and dynamics you know all of these little elements that made jazz deeper than just lol shark because lol shark didn't really exist yet we we didn't start getting lol shark movies until after jaws because jaws started the genre of shark movies yeah, everyone was like, oh, well, Jaws did well, so we're going to copy Jaws, but they didn't really pay attention to why Jaws did well, and that's how we got Lil Shark. They did not understand the assignment. 
it's it's true. But but then again, in terms of all the things we've talked about, um, the the brain candy, the way that society's gone in terms of doom and gloom news, um, and all that kind of thing. Maybe that's why. Maybe maybe the people making decisions on the films think, well, we'll just give them something just to, that, that they can enjoy. And I would rather they went for more high stuff every now and again. Like I, I've got nothing wrong with a, with a you know with a daft film. You, you're talking. I, I'm somebody who likes Waterworld, so I understand, right? <laughs> that, that exactly. That not every film I watch is like. I don't, you know, just because I'm English doesn't mean I'm I'm snobby over films. Like I get there's some there's some trash out there. And I'm I'm all for it, uh, like Waterworld is, it, and Speed Two Cruise Control. Like I I know that's terrible, but I will watch it and I will enjoy it. So so you know we all have things we jump into, uh, but maybe maybe that's why the films have gone the way they have, um, and maybe that's why Jaws looks even more special now. Um, but uh, I'm just thinking I'll I'll start bringing it to a bit of a close there. If I turn it with you guys, um, I, I'm aware I don't want to keep you too long. Um, so would you guys like to, have you got any like final thoughts before we do the wrap up? Uh, let's see. I'm taking a look at the at my notes because I, I actually did write notes because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've wrote some. I just tend to go off piste a lot of the time with the conversation, which, which I enjoy. What's a note? <laughs> Uh, I, I have a couple of notes that I wrote that I just I just find amusing. Go for it. Uh, so when your shark expert says, not the one, maybe you listen to Zathras? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just get, get one for the uh, Babylon 5 fans there. Yeah, uh, I think my closing thought on it is watching this again was like i said earlier a really great look through a window into a world that doesn't really exist anymore because we've moved on culturally and socially smoking uh, in a hospital says what right cigarettes everywhere oh my god oh yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah and kids the... and kids able to go out sailing on a boat in the middle of like an ocean pen with no adults, no supervision. One, yeah. of them, one of them's the police chief's son. They're not bothered. Out you go, they're about 12. You're mm -hmm. all right, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the most fascinating things about this film, though, is the amount of information they got right about sharks and the amount of information they got wrong about sharks. Yeah. And a lot of people have like, well, this movie, you know, spread a whole bunch of misinformation about sharks. And at least the cut I watched was not as egregious as you would think. There was a, a bit of a play up of the whole man eater thing, but there's also a couple of lines where like, where they're talking about, you know, what this shark is doing. And they look at Hooper like, have you ever seen a shark do this before? And he just goes, no. <laughs> so they oh. do also spell out in the movie that this specific shark's behavior is exceedingly aberrant. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do get you do get aberrations. It's it's like what what's been going on recently with the with orcas with killer whales, where they've been ramming boats on purpose. I don't think they've hurt anybody yet, but they've been actively ramming boats that are not bothering them. So you do sometimes kind of wonder nature could you don't know they're not they're animals that, that well 
So who knows? But no, I'm not saying that they're, they're trying to hurt people anyway. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. go on. Uh, there's actually also one thing that's uh, kind of cool. It's it's very it's related to Jaws. Uh, there is a group that is actually working on making a replica of the Orca, that is, you know, the, the boat from Jaws, to be a shark research vessel. You'd have to make it a bit bigger one. It's tiny. <laughs> You're going to well, need a bigger boat. Hey, nice. Like it. Well, uh, because while Jaws isn't as egregious about shark misinformation as, as Grim just said, it is still responsible in part for a lot of our misnomers about sharks. A lot of our mindset that well, sharks are mindless killing machines, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I, I'm not saying that that's the fault of Jaws. It's just, you know, it's... Media colors human perception. Yes. And so they, they're wanting to kind of use a certain aspect of that to fuel actual knowledge and preservation of sharks. Sorry, I thought you sorry, I thought you were gonna get sorry, yeah. No, yeah. It's they it's a, it's good that they're they're doing that, I guess. At least if, if nothing else, it brings interest in sharks and then people, you know, um they say Indiana Jones, apparently after that film came out, the amount of people wanting to do Archaeology and that kind of thing at, at universities went up massively. So, yeah, film can film and media do do have a massive uh, a massive impact. I think. Yeah, media shapes our perceptions and our desires. It, it inspires or deters. Oh, uh, if you if you don't mind a slight tangent there, do you know how much Jurassic Park has influenced our knowledge of dinosaurs? Um, I mean, in terms of the films, terribly, but in terms of actually, like, it pushed a lot of people into paleontology, uh, so, I, so I hear. Well, so here's the thing. Jurassic Park, it represented our knowledge of dinosaurs for the time very well. You know, at that point in time, it was only starting to be maybe believed that some dinosaurs had feathers. And uh, one of the things that Jurassic Park did, and this is something I think is really cool, is they went to paleontologists and they were like, hey, uh, we need to know certain things about dinosaurs. And they were like, uh, we don't have the equipment to be able to answer those questions. So the movie studio was like, here, here you go. Here's the equipment. Now tell us what we need to know. So yeah, in what? So in Jurassic Park, they actually said to the scientists, well, Here's some money. Go and find out for us. Is that essentially what what happened? Or yeah, the 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 studio bought the scientists the equipment they needed to get the answers for the studio. But the studio had no use for that equipment afterwards. So Jurassic Park literally financed no, expansion of our knowledge of dinosaurs. Plus, it got so many people interested in dinosaurs. I mean, how many, 
how many millennials do you know who saw Jurassic Park as a kid and were at least completely obsessed with dinosaurs for a little while? I was one of them. <laughs> Same. I, Jurassic dinosaurs. Park. Jurassic Park is such an important part of my childhood. I see. I I, oh, I rub up against people the wrong way because I actually prefer the Lost World, the second one, over the first one, which has shocked quite a few people. But I just love the second one. I Even. Really do. <laughs> <laughs> I the Lost World had better character stories. I just loved it, and even even the bit at the end where the T Rex ends up in—is it San San Diego? Is it? Uh, is it San Diego? San Diego, San Francisco, something I like think that. It's San, I yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in over a decade. <laughs> You're missing out. Like, is as daft as that is. I I just I really enjoyed it. Can't lie. Well, Not, and and the thing about it is, even that entire sequence was still presented in a most believable way. How did that dinosaur get there? Because people are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, that's what they're doing with the Jurassic World movies. Uh, the fact that uh, the third one, which is coming out pretty soon, and you can bet your ass I'm going to go see it. <laughs> um, we've got dinosaurs all over the mainland now. And it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be messed up. It looks pretty good, though, honestly. It does. I tell you, I, I wasn't massively impressed with the first one. I thought the second one was horrendous. But then, out of nowhere, that little teaser, uh, I don't know, what was it? You know, the one that was set in a little camper van and they get attacked by dinosaurs. Um, that one family, it was, I don't know, what was it called? Incident at Skull Rock or something strange. Um, that was amazing. And I was like, where's this filmmaking been? Like, where's this gritty, tense take on it? Um, so if the third one's anything like that, I'm all for it. And yeah, I'll definitely go and see it. But my hopes aren't high. But I hope to be proven wrong. Oh yeah, I, I go into movies like that with one simple expectation. To be entertained. Are you not entertained? I know, I I, I do. I'll give, I'll give Spider-Man No Way Home. That's about the, the only film in about the past five years that I've left the cinema going. I've really enjoyed that. That made me feel good. I don't get that very often with films nowadays in the cinema. Um, I know the last few years has been a bit of a blip for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, more often than not, I come out kind of going, well, that was a waste. <sighs> but what can you do? I'm hard to please. I think I've been told that before. <laughs> eh, well, there, there are a lot of people who get that way with movies. I mean, I, I went and saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and I was entertained by it, so... Yeah, that, that's all. That's all you want. Just, um, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm even in the films that I, you know, I, I dislike. I, I kind of think, well, okay, there was some okay bits in it. Mine's more a disappointment of that could have been so much better if they'd have tried, you know, a different way of doing things. Or I, I don't know. I really don't. Um, yeah, I, I, as I see it on that, I'm like, you know. I'm not the filmmaker, so I'm not going to judge them for how they did things because, you know, you, also you never know where it fell apart. Uh, you look at the movie, the movie Hancock, uh, the, the Will Smith superhero movie. Yeah. <laughs> that movie kind of flopped, but everything I have heard 
the the ultimate failure on that movie was the editing floor. Yeah, it was edited very poorly. Yeah, I uh, think otherwise I, it was surprisingly good. Yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? And I think sometimes they can even they can even uh, advertise films in a totally different way. Like they'll they'll advertise it as if it's going to be an action film, and then you like so the most notorious example I think for me in the last in, in the more recent is um, T- uh, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street with Johnny Depp. Um, that was advertised over here as like a, a quite a gritty almost sleepy hollow type film and then it came out and it was a musical and people were like what the hell is this but i watched that really recently um for my old podcast and i absolutely loved it and i was like where's this why didn't they advertise it as what it was because people would have gone well actually it's mass appeal that's probably why they didn't but if they hadn't if they'd have showed what it was i'd have been more interested than just oh, another giant depp i can't be bothered you know, oh, I think with Sweeney Todd specifically, they thought that people would recognize the name and realize that it was a musical because it is, of course, based on a Broadway musical. And I loved it, too, but I like musicals. So, yeah. oh, as do I, but I'm, I'm even in those. I'm quite I like The Greatest Showman. I, my family put that on and I was like, I really don't want to watch this. And I loved it. Um, and uh, but then there's the, there's other modern kind of uh da- you know musicals like uh what's that one oh, that god awful one la la land which uh, oh i just watched it and thought well there's however many hours of my life i'm never going to get back that was i really didn't really didn't get it but i'm like the classics you know your olivers and things like that those i'm i'm down for i've still got a ways to go though on my musicals haven't seen them all well, it's impossible to see them all because, you know, there are so many of them and we only have a finite amount of time on this world. Gotta watch them all. Musicals. Get out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, but thanks. Thanks for giving up uh, so much of your time, guys. Um, so just before you go, uh, a massive thanks for myself for coming on. Um, I'll be... T- well, yeah, I'll be taking a couple of weeks off just to recuperate, I think. Um, not from this. <laughs> just, so that's, no, no, that's a, that's a completely valid response to dealing <laughs> with our shenanigans. <laughs> and let's just point that out. Uh, I think I think this is like episode 120 in seven months. So I kind of flew out the gate and I think I need to just take a breather for, for a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, yeah, no, massive thanks for coming on. Uh, I've listened. I uh, was listening to your most recent podcast. Uh, episode and it's gone right out of my head uh most recent one was zombie land yes yes it was oh yeah because i was horrified when you well not horrified but Shaun of the dead for me would be kind of above everything else but i do but i would argue zombie land and Shaun of the dead is slightly they're different in their tones um and i do i do love them both but for very different reasons Oh, um, I, th- I think actually both of us do like Shaun of the Dead more than we like Zombieland. We did Zombieland because it's a little bit newer and it, it had a little bit more of a pop culture impact. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, at least over here. Shaun oh, of the no, Dead definitely. leaned more into the comedy aspect, whereas Zombieland leaned more into that ridiculousness. A zombie kill of the week. Yeah. Miss Cynthia Nickelback or whatever her name is. Uh, yeah, great film. 
But I didn't think the second one was as good, but you know. I still haven't seen it. I should fix that at um, some point. It it's all it's 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 good. I just you know when you watch it and think if it if it if it had come like five, ten years ago, but it came like so long so long after it's a bit like whoa. I, I yeah. thought it was good. It was interesting. It did it did things without getting it spiritual. It did things, especially with the zombies that I thought, oh that's pretty that's pretty bold. That it isn't just like another rerun of Zombieland, so I'll give them credit for that. Um but not yet. So I've listened to your your guys' podcast and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, these these guys seem pretty 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 fun. Um, so I thought I'd uh, I'd thought I'd ask you in. Um, so would you like to give uh, the audience probably smaller than yours, but you never know. Uh, <laughs> uh, where like where you're where you're from? Not where you're from. Like what podcast you do and what what your um, where they can find you and everything like that. You want to take this, Grim, or should I? I can take this. So. We are two idiots and a dog because we're just two idiots and a dog. We have no idea what we're doing. Who does? Uh, Nobody. The main series that we have produced so far is Idiots on Film, where we discuss movies like we did today. Uh, but we've also been expanding uh, our territory a little bit here with Idiots Unleashed, where we discuss whatever random topic our audience uh, picks from our poll over on our Discord. And um, I believe you recently released a solo episode. Yeah, I've, I've also started doing uh, what I am calling Zolgar's Comic Collection, which basically I go through my ever-growing to-be-read pile of comics and graphic novels and review either a short run of comics or a graphic novel. So we've, we've kind of been diversifying a little bit. Um, we can be found on your favorite podcatcher, we are typically under Two Idiots and a Dog or T-I-A-A-D Media. Uh, you can also find us on our website, which is going to be podpage.com slash T-I-A-A-D Media. And we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at T-I-A-A-D Media. Yep, that's very professional. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that, that's the first time we've ever been accused of that. Wow, I I need a minute. I'm hmm. I don't know what to do with that. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you, you, if if you'd like, if you'd like to pretend that it's just good old British sarcasm, you can. But it wasn't. I was being genuine. <laughs> but if you'd like to think it's sarcasm, go for it. But it, I was being genuine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. Review it yourself. You're listening to. Um, if you found us, you know where you can find us. Um, recommend it and uh, two idiots in the dog uh, to your friends if you've enjoyed listening to this. If you haven't enjoyed listening to it, recommend it to somebody you don't like. At least get me a player, you know. Um, why? Why not? Oh, it's great! It's great! And it's just some morning northerner talking about whatever film he fancies. Um, so yeah, but uh, no, thanks guys for coming along. Uh, I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for having us. Yeah, no problem at all. And thanks for listening if you're still with us so far. Do you like cute dogs? Of course you do. We have a cute dog and we'll share pictures ever if you listen to our podcast. We are two idiots and a dog and we talk about movies and other media. And post pictures of our dog, Kaiju. New episodes post weekly on podpage.com slash T-I-A-A-D media. 
You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at T-I-A-A-D Media and wherever fine podcasts are sold. So give us a listen. You wouldn't want to disappoint Kaiju. <laughs>